The work of this church in the world is realized through the generous financial support of all who call this place home. Along with the gifts and time and talent, ours is a shared ministry. You have a role to play here. Church membership is open to all. For more information, go to uusf.org.
Good morning, everybody. I imagine that on this incredible, rainy, beautiful deluge of a morning, that you are happy that we are live streaming and you can sit comfy and cozy at home and still we can be together. So, one of the silver linings of the storms that we're living amidst is this moment on so many levels. It's great to have you with us. I'm Vanessa Southern. I'm the senior minister of this, the First Unitarian Universalist Society of San Francisco. If you are a visitor and you are with us for the first time this morning, if you are a member of the Church of the Fellowship of All Peoples joining us this morning, so lovely to have you with us. So lovely to have you with us here this morning. And in particular, it is so lovely to have with me, leading us in worship this morning, the Reverend Dr. Dorsey Blake. The congregation that he has served since 1994 is one that this congregation has had a relationship with since even before its founding in 1944. And it feels to me like this uh, family connection, this inheritance that Dorsey and I have stepped into as the newest members of that family, and that we hopefully will hand on and that we are nurturing. Actually, uh, the, first, the inaugural service for the Church for the Fellowship of All Peoples was held here. Ah, Dorsey is telling me that the inaugural service for his congregation, the one he serves, the Church of the Fellowship for All Peoples, was held, was held here. And so was Dr. The, uh, founding Minister's memorial service, right? Yes, Dr. Thurman's memorial Dr. service. Dr. Thurman's memorial service. So, so wonderful. And I, it was earlier this year that we had one of our rallies, our important rallies, and Dr. Blake joined us on the steps and spoke. And it was just this reminder that this, this invitation that had been on our list needed to be bumped up. And so we are so glad to finally make it real here this morning. Thank you. Your connection to Unitarian Universalism through the Star King Star School King also. Star King Ministry, yes. So he has huh. shaped ministers in our movement. Anyway, it is fantastic to be here. And today we are looking with his guidance at the soul of America, <laughs> which is a big and open question and has been this year and continues to be one we need to grasp and wrestle with as a community. And so it's a blessing to have you with us. Thank you so much. And I want to thank everyone else who's making this service today possible. First of all, incredible musicians, Reiko Odelaine up in the organ loft, bringing us into worship with that incredible opening music and preludes. Mark Sumner, our music director, who is off in another wing, along with Leandra Ram, Brielle Nielsen, Ben Rudiak Gould, and Asher Davison, making music in ways that we are learning how to make differently, and Miwa Steger here with us in her galoshes, you might notice, given <laughs> the day and the situation in worship these days. So it is lovely to have all of them. Jonathan Silk, who is our communications commander, Eric Shackelford on camera, and Shuli Ong, too making this possible. Joe Chappell is on our chat. If you have any questions, ask on the chat, and he will do his best to help you get and stay connected. Thomas Brown, who welcomes us into the building and makes sure it is ready for us. To Carrie Steer, Salazar, Judy Payne, and, and Amy, who have made the incredible decorations possible for here. Fabulous. The point steady is that many of you donated and are continuing to reach out about donating. 
Thank you all for making this place beautiful. So, if you are here for the first time again, welcome. You might look for the order of service to download it so you can follow along. We have a few candles to light this morning. First, as we have been lighting since the beginning of the pandemic times, we light a candle in honor of the spirit of all of you who are with us, not here in body right now, but definitely in spirit. And we light it until that day that we can all be back together again. But this, this Sunday, being the day that will end with the fourth night of Hanukkah, we light our menorah for all of our members and friends for whom Hanukkah is a part of their sacred tradition, their family heritage. We light it for the three nights that have so passed and bless and send blessings to everyone as they celebrate this holiday with their families and at home. And so with that, I invite us to enter more deeply into the spirit of worship with our opening hymn. The music and the words are in your order of service. It is hymn number 121, We'll Build a Land. Please sing out loud and strong. Find of the 
now if you will join me saying the words of our chalice lighting that are printed in your order of service. We light our chalice for the light of truth, the warmth of love, and the fire of commitment. We light this symbol of our faith as we gather together. Love is the spirit of this church and service is its prayer. This is our great covenant to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth in freedom, and to help one another. So 
Strand and Kathleen Morin, who are co-chairs of our recently reorganized Society for Community Works Council, better known to many of you as SCW. They and other leaders have done so much incredible work this year and in the years past. There are a whole bunch of folks who work behind the scenes every year to make the incredible ministry and outreach of SCW done through it possible. David Jones, Laura Davis, Phil Allison, Thad Smith, Mary Castiglia, Joan Rost, Kathy Lyons, Robin Larson, Ann Taylor, Leslie Bader, and George Mayer, rest his soul, are just some of the names. Some of the names that are part of something that I feel like with everything going on in the world is so worth naming. The good things that happen that don't tweet about it <laughs> or make a big fuss but just serve the good and the beautiful and the true and love and equity quietly faithfully ceaselessly along with the rest of the world SCW has been doing a little bit of changing I just want to give you a brief update it has a history of being an organization connected to the church but also with some separate status but this year we've really just merged the two they SCW was started by the congregation. So it's fitting that we come back into this more complete relationship. It was started in the 1870s when there was a depression and the need, the need to do some incredible outreach to the homeless and hungry reach that also extended into the prisons and hospitals then. It's work that continued through the decades after the 1906 earthquake. SCW organized, among other things, small all-day sewing meetings. Actually, they couldn't have been small, but they were all day. And the records show that in the first few weeks after the devastation, over 5,000 garments were distributed to people who had lost everything. Over 1,000 of those sewn in these sewing gatherings by that committee in this congregation alone. There's been an ongoing focus over the years that's really centered on two things, scholarship for students, those who, many of whom could otherwise not attend college, many of whom are first generation college attendees, mentoring of them through some of what it means to be doing that work in the world, filling out FAFSA forms, if any of you know what those are, and this focus to small groups in the community, nonprofits, many of whom are not on the screen, not on the radar of major funders, but need a, a little help getting off their knees and serving the ways they dream to in their mission statements. Today, despite what it says in the order of service, we're raising money for the second half of that work for the sponsorship work, which since 1969 has been an effort that's given away grants from between $500 and $3,000 to 500 local groups, many of which 
SCW has been the backbone to through their existence. So for instance, the Bay Area Women's and Children's Center in the Tenderloin, it's our longest funded project, 27 years. A group that has done extraordinary things like made sure that an elementary school was built in the Tenderloin for the many, many kids whose parents did not have political voice, did not know how to exercise it, but they got organized and spoke out and now have a school in their neighborhood and playgrounds. That's just one of the organizations that we have been behind with voice and financial support, Faithful Fools up on top got started in the beginning, but also things like Project Avery and Insight Prison Project, both of which support children and families of incarcerated parents or incarcerated populations getting the support they need for some creative endeavors. SCW has also helped this congregation get our solar panels and fostering all kinds of work. Plowing our values into the world outside these doors and within them. Well, there's a lot more to say. A lot more I hope you'll hear as we begin to talk more about this work. But I want to invite you today in our offering to give to the sponsorship, the nonprofit work later in the year, we will dig deep for scholarships. And when the annual grant report comes out, I want you to see and own and love more deeply than ever what work we have been able to do together. And if you, by the way, want to serve on the grants panel or be part of this work, just see, just see Kathleen or Liz. We would love to have you involved in the work as it grows ever more deeply into serving its mission more boldly in these times that need it more than ever before. And so our offering will be given and received. You'll note a button if you give electronically for a special offering. If you click that button this morning, your money will go towards SCW's sponsorship. Thank you in advance for your generosity. The offering will be given and gratefully received. The impossible dream to fight the unbeatable foe, to bear with unbearable sorrow, to run where the brave dare not go, to right the unrightable wrong, to love pure and chaste from afar, to try when your arms are too weary, to reach the unreachable star. This is my quest to follow that star. No matter how hopeless, no matter how far, to fight for the right without question or pause, to be willing to march into hell for the heavenly cause. And I know if I'll only be true, 
glorious quest that my heart will lie peaceful and calm when I'm laid to my rest and the world will be better for this that one soul scorned and covered with scars still strove with a last ounce of courage to reach the unreachable stars. Richard Blanco, Cuban-American poet, said that in light of so much political strife and bickering, he wanted to write a poem that captured, quote, my own childlike patriotism. Not my country, right or wrong, not that kind of blind patriotism, but rather a more genuine and gentler patriotism that acknowledges a country's imperfections and trespasses, while also remaining committed to working toward a more perfect union. I listened to him reading it twice, so I'll try and read it just like he does. Know that that explains the choices I make. In this poem, America the Beautiful Again. How I sang, oh beautiful, like a psalm at church with my mother, her Cuban accent scaling up every, every vowel. Oh, beautiful, yet in perfect pitch, delicate and tuned to the radiant beams of stained glass light. How she taught me to fix my eyes on the crucifix as we sang our thanks to our Savior for this country that saved us. Our voices hymns as passionate as the organ piping toward the very heavens. How I sang, for spacious skies, closer to those skies while perched on my father's sunbeat shoulders, towering above our first 4th of July parade. How the timber through our bodies mingled, breathing, singing as one with the brass notes of the marching band, playing the only song he ever learned in English. How I dared to sing it at assembly with my teenage voice cracking, for amber waves of grain that I'd never seen nor the purple mountain majesties, but could imagine them in each verse rising from my gut, every exclamation of praise I belted out until my throat hurt. America, and again, America. How I began to read Nietzsche and doubt God, yet still wished for God to shed his grace on thee and crown thy good with brotherhood. How I still want to speak, to sing, despite all the truth of our wars and our gunshots ringing louder than our school bells. Our politicians smiling lies at the mic, 
the deadlock of our divided voices shouting over each other instead of singing together. How I want to sing again, beautiful or not, just to be in harmony, from sea to shining sea, with the only country I know enough to know how to sing for. The light of the sun, the moon, and stars lights upon our soul, light lights upon our soul, and gives us life. Compassion is the key to life. Compassion is the key to give, to give as has been given to you. Renew, renew, renew your soul and go, and go, and go within to find your light. Renew, renew, renew your soul and go, and go, and go within to find your light. it is to be with you this morning, Congregation of the First Unitarian Universalist Society of San Francisco. I want to thank Reverend Vanessa Rush Southern for her wonderful, energetic, engaging introduction. Yes, this congregation and the Church for the Fellowship of All Peoples have had relationships over the years, 76 years at least. I want to compliment her on her extraordinary leadership, the depth of her thinking and of her soul as evidenced by 
what she has offered us today in terms of meditation, ritual. I also want to compliment her on her leadership beyond the walls of this church. I was very moved last year, in Jan this year, in January the 31st, when this church opened its doors for a service in remembrance and appreciation of the great spiritual leader, Ram Das. And Reverend Southern graciously invited me to partake in the service. What great music we have heard today. What a profound service I have already experienced. And this sanctuary is just awesome. The ambiance exquisite, spiritual, deep, inviting. So it is with great pleasure that I speak to you today. The title of my sermon is The Soul of the Nation, Worth Saving. The title comes from my own wrestling with this notion. I am a member of the National Council of Elders, which was founded some years ago to engage leaders of the 20th century civil rights movement to share what they have learned with young leaders of the 21st century, to promote the theory of nonviolence, to proclaim justice and mercy among the peoples. The question became so real this summer when we learned that many of our young activists across the nation were raising questions even about participating in voting, feeling as though they were really disillusioned, disappointed with the leadership of the Democratic Party, and felt as though it would be the same old capitalistic movement. What was the need to vote, they raised. The idea came to us, and we had several forums to try to talk with them about the need, the imperative to vote. That when evil is so rank, so pervasive, that people have a responsibility to try to stop it. The question has been a question, though, I have raised since my teenage years, the question of the soul of the nation and whether or not it is worth saving. I recall that there are lofty ideals of this nation and yet staggering, obvious, oppressive contradictions to those ideals. The question is, are the contradictions to those ideals so profound, so deep, so pervasive that they nullify the ideals. The first question we must raise is what is meant by the term soul? Soul can be defined as 
spirit, breath, animation? What is the spirit of the nation? What is alive? What is breathing in it? What is its essence? John Meacham, in his book, The Soul of America, says, philosophically speaking, soul is the vital center, the core, the heart, the essence of life. And many would agree or think that the essence of the soul of this nation is clearly articulated in the Declaration of Independence, which captures the ideals of those founding members of the nation as they broke off from British rule to form this new nation. They declared, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all people are created equal. Actually, it said that all men are created equal. And that is part of the problem. That they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Dr. King often referred to those words while addressing the contradictions in the lives of the masses of people in the United States, black and otherwise. The preamble to the Constitution is another source revealing what is considered the soul of the nation with this emphasis on the general welfare and securing the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, oncoming generations. Yet there is an inherent systemic betrayal of the idolized reality that so many continue to encounter. They think about the near genocide of the native peoples here, the confiscation of land, the broken treaties, the intentionally bringing disease into those people who shepherded it, who stewarded it as this nation for so many years. And some think of the issue of slavery, which by the time the enslaved were emancipated, comprised the largest single asset in America. Three billion dollars in 1860. More than all the other assets of the country combined. They think of centuries of disenfranchisement of women and poor people, whatever the race. The Chinese Exclusion Act, the herding of Japanese Americans into concentration camps during World War II. They know about the exploitation in Latin America and Africa. And I know you know now of the atrocious treatment of children and their parents trying to come to this country, the vilification of Muslims, 
So they're disappointed, disillusioned in terms of what is this nation about? What is its soul? Long before Eric Garner, while being suffocated by policing forces, uttered the words, I can't breathe. People on the edges had uttered that cry for centuries. Now another idealized concept of the soul of the nation is recorded in Lincoln's 1863 Gettysburg Address, ending with the words, this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom. The government of the people, by the people, and for the people shall not perish from the earth. 37 years later, in 1900, James Weldon Johnson, the great black poet, penned these words regarding the sojourn of black people in this nation, words that became part of the unofficial black national anthem. Stony the road we trod, bitter the chastening rod, felt in the days when hope unborn had died. I love the new rendition, America the Beautiful Again, how profound, how personal, how deeply meaningful. The song, America the Beautiful, speaks of amber waves of grain, of majestic purple mountains and fruited plains. Indeed, this nation has been blessed ecologically. And because it has been blessed so beautifully, much is required of it. There is a line in the traditional rendition that speaks to me with authenticity. God mend thine every flaw. Yes, that should be inscribed in the soul of the nation. The audacity to abort death-dealing ways. And there is a more recent version of this song that is entitled, Oh, How Beautiful Our Spacious Skies. I will only read second, third, maybe fourth stanzas. Indigenous and immigrant, our daughters and our sons, oh, may we never rest content till all are truly one. America, America, God grant that we may be a sisterhood and brotherhood from sea to shining sea. Oh, beautiful, sincere lament, the wisdom born of tears, the courage called for to repent the bloodshed through the years. America, America, God grant that we may be a nation blessed with none oppressed, true land of liberty. Oh, beautiful, two continents and islands in the sea that dream of peace, nonviolence, all people living free. America, America, God grant that we may be a hemisphere where people here all live 
in harmony. For many, this is the time of Advent, a time of anticipating, anticipating someone greater than we are to come, anticipating a time more noble than the present, a time of light for our darkness. That something to come is the birth of the child Jesus. But according to biblical accounts, not everybody was joyful about his birth. It is said that Herod, the great king of Judea, ordered the execution of all male children two years old or under in the vicinity of Bethlehem, currently occupied, the little town in which Jesus was to be born. This reign of terror is called the Massacre of the Innocents. It is difficult to believe that such a heinous crime could be undertaken just because Herod, paranoid due to his exploitation of people, feared that this child would grow into adulthood and challenge his throne. But it's even more difficult for me to believe that over 2,000 years later, according to UNICEF 2018, approximately 3.1 million children die from undernutrition each year. Hunger and undernutrition contribute to more than half of global child deaths, as undernutrition can make children more vulnerable to illness and exacerbate disease. The massacre of the innocent. And the hunger results from destructive policies against the poor, including those enacted by this nation. Is this the soul of our nation? News about the ministry of Jesus came to John, the one who baptized people, while John was in prison. And he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the coming one or are you the one to come, the one that has been prophesied? And the response to Jesus is very instructive and very telling to us. He did not say yes or no. He responded, go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised. Jesus put the emphasis where it needed to be, on the work being done, the ministry being called forth, the kingdom being unfolded. He was fulfilling the agenda set before him by the prophet Isaiah about the one who was to come. It says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. 
One of my favorite hymns during this time of the year is O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. O Come, O Come, God, be with us. Emmanuel, dwell with us. O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. But often we don't hear these words. And ransom captive Israel. It is about not just dealing, it's not really about dealing with individual souls. It is called to release the nation from its imprisonment, the various forms of imprisonment. And for the nation to be free from captivity, the people of the nation must be liberated. Dr. Howard Thurman says of Jesus in his book, Jesus and the Disinherited, wherever his spirit appears, the oppressed gather fresh courage, for he announced the good news that fear, hypocrisy, hatred, the three hounds of hell that track the trail of the disinherited need not have dominion over them. So I believe each year that we sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and describe Jesus as the Prince of Peace, that the government shall be upon his shoulder, we are encouraged with the biblical story. There is a concern, however, that I have, um, that while singing this, we relieve ourselves of our responsibility to be the coming one to be the one to come, to embody peace, to make the government a government of, by, and for the people. We must not leave these responsibilities to Jesus. He has been called Lamb of God, not scapegoat of humans. He did what he came to do. Now we must do what we are alive to do. That includes living, so that there is no need for demonstrating against demonic laws, against immigrants, laws that enshrine poverty and the various isms, sexism, racism, classism, heterosexism. To live in such a way and take our lives so seriously and let our light so shine that there is no necessity, as there is right now, for a Black Lives Matter movement. We must, each of us, be the one, the coming one. For creation announced at the birth of each of us, not just Jesus, of each of us, and to us a child is born. A fresh soul is unleashed in the world. Last Thursday, December the 10th, some of us gathered for a forum sponsored by Ethics in Tech in commemoration of Human Rights Day, born of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights that was signed in December 10th, 1948. December 10th, 1964, Martin Luther King was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize. 
1957, he co-founded the Southern Christian Leadership Conference with the goal of redeeming the soul of America. He believed that the genius within the soul of America was the right to fight or protest for right. He said in his acceptance speech, I accept this award today with an abiding faith in America and an audacious faith in the future of mankind. I refuse to accept despair as the final response to the ambiguities of history. I refuse to accept the idea that the isness of man's present nature makes him morally incapable of reaching up for the eternal oughtness that forever confronts him. I refuse to accept the idea that man is mere floatsam and jetsam in the river of life, unable to influence the unfolding events which surround him. I refuse to accept the view that mankind is so tragically bound to the starless midnight of racism and war that the bright daybreak of peace and brotherhood can never become a reality. I believe that wounded justice lying prostrate on the blood-flowing streets of our nation can be lifted from the dust of shame to reign supreme among the children of men. And when our days become dreary with low hovering clouds and our nights become darker than a thousand midnights, we will know that we are living in the creative turmoil of a genuine civilization struggling to be born. We hear the words of the Declaration of Independence, the preamble of the Constitution, even the majestic words of the Gettysburg Address. What I want to leave us with is the fact that the soul of this nation is that essence, that breath, that spirit that resides within it because of the various individuals and freedom movements that have breathed into this nation new life, that have animated it, that have broadened and deepened its understanding of humanity, human dignity, and the common ground of living that we all share. It is the spirit that has impaled those vanguards and advocates of freedom to risk life for a more ethical, just, and compassionate nation. A nation, indeed, worth saving. And in the words of the great poet June Jordan, we are the ones we have been waiting for to save it.
Amen. of this place, surrounded by the all-pervading presence of the holy, our hearts whisper, keep fresh before us the moments of our high resolve, that in good times or tempest, foul weather or fair, when the foe is nameless or familiar, we may not forget that to which our lives are committed. Keep fresh before us the moments of our high resolve. Amen. <laughs> 